This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers getting ready to host number three, Ohio State, on Saturday. Plenty to get to with that game, and we'll do it a little bit here. But, Jesse, some news broke. Well, news for us, I guess. We're going to get a chance to talk with assistant coaches. Well, specifically the offensive and defense coordinators here later on Wednesday. We're doing this Wednesday morning. We'll get them a little bit later today. Uh, Phil Longo and Mike Trussell speaking for the first time since August, middle of August. I'm wondering for you, I know you probably have a list of questions you got ready for them, but what's what's the one thing, both guys, that you want to know about today? Well, when it comes to Phil Longo, I just want to know what his impressions have been in trying to implement this offense as you go through the course of a season. Every time we talked to him, it was before they played a game, before they'd had an opponent. And I know we've heard Luke Fickle talk at least a little bit about trying to get the scheme to fit the personnel and I would love his perspective and also his perspective on whether this has gone the way he anticipated or or what the challenge in his mind have been. So that would be my primary questions for Longo. And I'm certainly looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And for Trestle, I think it's a little bit of the same too, as much as we've talked about the offense and uh, the, the personnel trying to fit the scheme, it's the same way with the defense, what his impressions have been and perhaps the greatest challenges in, in his mind in trying to, as he said way back when in January, mesh the elite of what the defense did well under Jim Leonard with what he thought they could do well under him. Yeah, and I, and I also think with Trestle, it's kind of like what adjustments have they made within the season to try yes. and get guys playing faster. And and I know we talked about this a few weeks ago with Jay Chaney saying they're gonna, they went back to doing some of the stuff against the run that they had done earlier on uh, under Jim Leonard and wondering if he can maybe – expand on that and exactly what has what they have done to try and uh, fix some of the issues that plagued them earlier in the year and obviously these last two games not being able to stop the run has uh, been a rather glaring issue especially for teams that I mean Illinois could pass I mean they were one of the better passing teams in the Big Ten but not overly efficient I would say with uh, Luke Altmeyer, but not being able to stop the run against Iowa had to be so difficult they were without their top two tight ends and they had Deacon Hill playing quarterback. He's a starting Big Ten quarterback, but not necessarily uh, at the highest level of uh, the quarterback ranks of the Big Ten. So I think that to me is is probably stands out as well. But we'll uh, talk all about what they had to say tomorrow night when we're back at Monks and Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilprin. Break all that down. If you're not subscribed to it, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Temple and Heilprin, subscribe to it. And uh, I'm going to be posting those late later Thursday. So later Thursday nights from now on throughout the rest of the season, figure out a way to do it. So those will be up maybe about an hour after we get off the air. So, all right, let's get into some of the other stuff that we heard from players talked yesterday. Braylon Allen talked, Braylon Locke talked. Um, and I know you have, you're working on a story with Will Pauling as well, but your story this morning that you put out all about Luke Fickle and the people that have dealt with him throughout his not dealt with him, but uh, have gotten to know him and spent time with him and played with him and coached with him throughout his career, going all the way back to his time at Ohio State and obviously through his coaching career and certainly in high school as well. What what was the biggest takeaway for you or maybe what was the most interesting thing that came out of all those interviews you did with people that knew Luke Fickle going all the way back? 
So the premise of this story was, let me talk to his former teammates at Ohio State and his former head coach, John Cooper, about what he was like as a player. Give me your stories of him as a player. And how do those stories help shape or explain who he is as a person and a coach now? And there were some great ones. I think when you hear about Luke you, as a player at Ohio State, you hear about how tough he was and how good of a teammate he was. And on the surface, that can sound kind of boring. But the story, the best stories to me were the ones about his wrestling background and how he used them to his advantage, especially when he came in, because most people who are listening are familiar with that. And when he was in Ohio at St. Francis de Sales High School, he is he became arguably, and maybe it's not even arguable, but the best high school wrestler in the history of the state. He went 106 and zero over his last three seasons, won three state championships and state championships. And then two of those were in the heavyweight division. But I thought it was interesting that when he came in as a, a freshman and he redshirted in 1992, people were aware of his background, but as one of his teammates said, Lorenzo style senior has a couple sons that currently play at Ohio state. He was a linebacker for the Buckeyes. He talked about how when you get in a room full of alpha males, sometimes things get said and people want to react a certain way. Like just because he was good at wrestling in high school didn't mean squat when he got to Ohio state in the eyes of some people and he would get tested and he would get picked on is not the right word, but they wanted to challenge him. And every time he won, I mean, I talked to Eddie George for this story. He was obviously one of the great running backs in, in college football. And he talked about how, fickle was quiet but he was an ass kicker and uh they they his teammates would say that luke didn't start fights but he finished them and there were just multiple examples of him using his wrestling background to just straight up toss dudes and we're talking 275 285 pound defensive linemen who are not used to being tossed like that and that certainly commanded a level of respect and one of his best friends on the team matt finkus talked about how he played nose guard in the big ten at like 265 275 and he said you don't do that without being a tough son of a b <laughs> uh and he, he said the word in in full but so i think that commanded him respect and just the other stories about what a great teammate he was the quiet leadership that he demonstrated his toughness his preparation at like the way he would go into the film room taking notes and that he did everything right that's what john cooper said and, and if you told him to take two steps one way he would do exactly as he was told and that's why his defensive line coach loved him so much and that's why he started 50 consecutive games for four seasons which at the time was a school record and so those were those were a few things that stood out and I think another story is the way that he had the backs of his teammates one of one of his teammates Ty Howard was a defensive back and he talked about they had a, a linebacker on the team who was a, a one of the captains Greg, Greg Belisari and the, the last year they were playing against Michigan and, and it was senior day and so you come out you get honored by your parents as anyone listening has seen with Wisconsin seniors days and apparently Michigan players took the field at the exact same time and knocked them over and and Luke just took off left his parents standing there at midfield and went to go help his brother in the midst of the storm and he's knocking over Michigan guys and I think all of those stories they come together to paint a picture of who Fickle was as a player but also what values he has as a coach. It's all about the brotherhood and the camaraderie and the teamwork and competing for one another. And those are some of the values that he instills in the players now. So that's not every story that that is in the piece, but they sort of highlight who he was as a player and, and why he is the man that he is today. I like this one from Eddie George. That's one dude you do not want to see in an alley or get in a fight with at practice because he would twist you in knots. Um, yeah. so that's a good one. Yeah, it is. And and another thing that 
Eddie was talking about was, and I, I couldn't use every single thing that everyone said, so I had to condense it to make it the best story possible. But he said that people were made aware of Luke's background, uh, like very early on, essentially saying like, that is not a guy that you want to trifle with. Again, people may have been aware of that, but they also wanted to see for themselves. And when they kind of got in the ring with him, so to speak, they usually <laughs> they usually lost and had an idea of why you don't want to mess with that dude. How do you think that time um, made him the coach he is? Well, it's for a number of the things that I laid out. First of all, he understood the value of preparation and study. And one of his teammates talked about they had a guy named Dan Wilkinson who was just um, absolute. Yeah, I mean, he was the number one pick in the NFL draft. Yeah, big daddy. About how a guy like that didn't have to study, uh, could just go out and dominate. And with Luke, he understood that he had limitations, if you will, on the physical capabilities. Just in terms of the size, he was undersized as a nose guard in the Big Ten. And so he had to use everything that he could to his advantage. And one of those was being smarter and more technically sound than the other guy. And I think those are traits that you see manifest themselves as a coach in terms of, and we hear it every Tuesday, we have an opportunity to see when Wisconsin's football Twitter account puts out the, the short videos that he has when he talks to the team to, to begin the game week about the value of preparation and understanding your assignment and what you're, the challenge you're going to face and what you have to overcome when you go into that game Saturday. Now I, I asked Luke a question about his days as a player at hmm. Ohio state. And I talked, I, I, the premise of the question in part was, what do you think made you a successful player? And he, he's, he always undersells what he did as a player because his first response was who said I was successful. And I said, well, you started 50 consecutive games and he wanted to deflect credit by talking about how he had so many good players around him. And when you have that, you just do your role in your assignment. Um, and I also think that's indicative of, of his expectation level at, at Wisconsin, you, you come to work every day, but you do it with a certain level of humility and you understand that your success will be defined by what your teammates do as well. So I think that's part of it too. So we did talk to him Monday and it, the questions were asked about him and Ohio state. And he said, it's not about him. And I firmly believe he thinks that in his mind, but there's a little bit of, there's a little piece of him that has to be a little extra juice for this week. No, a hundred percent, even if okay. he would never say it. And I don't think it will, it's not going to impact how he prepares the team. Because again, go back to that Tuesday speech that we had an opportunity to see. He was talking about that in part that the focus has got to be on the, on the guys in the room. And it was hinting at the fact that there are going to be storylines about him and his background at Ohio state without him actually saying it. But you you talk to anybody that's associated with Luke and you understand what a competitive dude he is. And so it's all about competition, but this game in particular with the, the familiarity that he has with Ohio state, not only as a player, but as a coach there for 15 years. And also the understanding that Ohio state is perennially one of the best teams, not only in the big 10, but in the country. And so as he addressed to his players, this is an opportunity to, to serve as a, a measuring stick. Yes. Every week in, in the big 10 is a measuring stick and that is true, no doubt, to some degree, whether you want to admit or not that an Illinois game on the road is a measuring stick. It is, especially given that the Illini won last year at Camp Randall. But Ohio State in particular, to me, and since I've been on the beat, I haven't seen the Badgers beat the Buckeyes because my first season was 2011, which happened to be the, the year they lost and subsequently lost eight more games. This is the measuring stick. So you go out and you prove yourself on Saturday night at Camp Randall Stadium with a showing that would have to be the best the team puts this puts together this year it's it will be a, a game for the ages in program history so there's a lot on the line both internally and externally in my mind wouldn't this have to be the best performance 
a Wisconsin team has put together in how many years, not just this year, but how many years? Yeah. I'm trying to, to me, th- I'm trying, like trying to think like, you know, not counting obviously your favorite bowl game uh, in the orange bowl, but <laughs> I, I'm trying to think like, I'm trying to think back, like what type of effort they would have to put together to, to, to win this game. I, I truly do believe that if they did win, and I, I just said this, that it, it is, it is one of the games that will go down in program lore as, as one for the ages. You, uh, you look at the highlight videos that they play on the Jumbotron before the games. And what are the, I, I wrote about this in a story earlier in the week on The Athletic, but look at the, the plays that they run back to back. You've got the Matt Shaver to Lee Evans in 03, where Shaver comes in as the backup and ends up throwing the big touchdown past 79 yards. And you've got the Dave Gilry touchdown return at the start of the 2010 game, which set the tone. Those are big games because Wisconsin or Ohio State comes in an undefeated top five program. You don't have a lot of those types of opportunities. And when you do, if you can make the most of it, you remember them forever. So and I had someone in the comments say the difference is those teams were better than this Wisconsin team. And I, I don't necessarily I don't disagree. I mean, I do the 20, the 20, the 2010 team in particular. I mean, by far better. The 2003 yeah. team was not better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Go, go, but anybody that says it is did not watch that season they lost to you they lost to UNLV at home 23 to 5 they did have Lee Evans um they did a, a, they, now a legendary generation players wise yes players wise like they they had some they had some absolute dudes especially Lee Evans and obviously Joe Thomas was on that team and the best fullback in my mind that's ever played there you know and Matt Bernstein but that game itself I mean Booker Stanley was the lead tailback because they were so banged up at running back. They didn't have Anthony Davis. They didn't have Dwayne Smith. They were down to Booker Stanley and he put together a game. Joe, uh, Jim Sorge gets knocked out of that game. Like they're, and obviously, you know, um, Jim Leonard on, on defense and that type of stuff. But this team, that team was not good. They, they went to the music city bowl and, and lost the music city bowl. Like those are, it was not a, a great Wisconsin team by any stretch. And I, I maybe maybe they are on the same level as maybe this year's team is on the same level as that, I guess, maybe. But the 2010 team was obviously much, much better than this one. 2003, at, at best, is right about the same level. The point I'm making either way is that this is a game that if they win, it will go down in history as one of the great wins in the program. And I, I sometimes people can speak in hyperbole because they're just in the moment. But I, I firmly believe that again, Ohio state is coming into this, having just beaten a Penn state team that was undefeated dominating defensively. And they're number, they're number three in the country right now. They're a legitimate national championship contender. And so you get this kind of opportunity and you win. Um, it will be magical. I know the environment certainly will. And, and we could talk about the point spread, but to me, that's also indicative of what people believe about these two programs coming in, that the Badgers open the week as 14-point underdogs, which is, that hasn't happened in more than 30 years at home. So there's a lot on the line with this one. There is. Again, the 2003 team also played a, a rather difficult schedule. They had a bunch of ranked teams. They they lost to Purdue, who was ranked 13th in the country. They lost at Minnesota, who was in the top 25 when they played them. They beat a Michigan State team that was number 21. That was the day that Lee Evans you know, had five touchdowns. They lost to Iowa who was ranked 17th in the country. So they, they played some ranked teams, but I wouldn't say that that team was uh, much better, if at all better than this one that uh, they have right now. But I guess that's irrelevant. They 2003, they won the game. And uh, this team is going to have to put together a special performance to win on Saturday. Now that said, you know, I don't know if it was certainly, I don't think it was uh trash talk or bulletin board material whatsoever, but 
Braylon Allen was, was asked about the opportunity and the challenge and all that. And he said, you know, he, we don't want to build them up too much in our head because they're beatable. Mm-hmm. Do you think they're beatable by this Wisconsin team? And, and what does a, and what does a win or what does a, yeah, no, just that's the, that's the question. Are they, do you think they're beatable? So, I'm 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 absolutely not going to go into this game and say Ohio State is absolutely unbeatable. We've seen and you've talked about throughout the offseason that the Badgers have played the Buckeyes well in Madison. They're they're going to have 80,000 fans on their side. It is going to take a level of execution that we have not seen to date consistently throughout four quarters. Best offensive performance and certainly the best defensive performance to just keep the Badgers in the game. Ohio State earlier in the season to me looked beatable for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, they almost lost to Notre Dame. Now that was a Notre Dame team that had home field advantage and hadn't lost a game at the time, but even earlier than that, they're breaking in a new quarterback. They've certainly found something of late. Marvin Harrison jr. Is tremendous. So I think you're going to have to win matchups that in years past Wisconsin just hasn't won against Ohio state, right? Like the, they've got the burner wide out the number one guy, your DBs have to step up to the challenge. So it's not impossible. It's improbable is what I would say. Yeah. Look, I, I don't think Ohio state is the same offense that they have been in previous years. They don't have that number one pick playing quarterback right now. Kyle McCord's a really good player and they're averaging over 300 yards passing in the conference. Their running game hasn't been great. I think some of that has to do with injuries and it sounds like, according to Ryan day that they're going to be getting back three big time players, uh, especially at wide receiver and at running back with egg Buka coming back. He's missed time. He almost played last week. And then Trayvon Henderson, who obviously is such a a load and had a big game last year against Wisconsin. Those two guys coming back along with Denzel Burke, like those are big time players that obviously they saved for this game. They weren't really worried about Penn state. (laughs) They wanted to save them for this trip to Madison. I have to laugh just to make sure people are aware that that is uh, sarcasm, sarcasm. But yeah, I mean, I know that sometimes we talk about the the high school star ratings and and they are not everything teams, Badgers teams in the past that have not had the, the high rankings that other opponents have, have won games with toughness and teamwork. But I feel like this is worth highlighting anytime Wisconsin plays Ohio State just to understand how much talent the Buckeyes have, or or at least the perceived talent coming into high school. And then it's up to the players to continually get better. But look at the, the starting 22 on offense and defense for the Ohio State team against Penn State last week. And 19 of those 22 players were either four or five-star prospects in the 24-7 sports composite. Six of them were five-star players. And just for a, a juxtaposition here, Wisconsin, in the history of the online recruiting ranking era, has had five five-star players. And the six that I'm talking about don't even include Henderson uh, and Egbuka, who I believe were both five-star players that you're going to be adding into the mix. So that doesn't mean, I know once you kick the ball off, those rankings, they go out the window. But I think it. it I just want to highlight how much talent Ohio State has every year that, and I've said this before, when you have an injury for Wisconsin, you might end up at times with a, a walk-on or a former walk-on and Ohio State just sort of replaces them with other four or five-star players like a factory that's why in part you you have to be so good with your level of execution because oftentimes not always but the most talented teams win and i know that's something that luke fickle said the reverse of on monday that that the most talented teams they don't always win and that is true but talent takes you a long way in college football so 
Wisconsin's going to have to play its absolute best. They win more often than not. <laughs> yeah. Look at the teams in the college football playoff. And when I was talking to John Cooper for this, the fickle story that we were, we were just discussing one, what he said about recruiting, because he was talking about Luke taking over at Wisconsin and how much respect Cooper had for Barry Alvarez. He talked about as a coach, you have to do three things, recruit, recruit and recruit. And I just thought that was kind of a, a funny quote, which is it's not the first time I've heard of it from a guy who was at that level. I thought it was pretty interesting because again, talent, is such a big deal in college football. It is. And the thing about this is we've, we talk about the offense. We haven't mentioned the defense, like how good Ohio state's defense is this year compared to yep. previous years. They are right. a legit, very, very good defense. Now they are also in the same conference as two other really good defenses when it comes to Penn state and Michigan. So maybe it gets overshadowed a little bit, but I think this is the best Ohio state defense, maybe since uh, maybe in the last However, all their good teams, this may be one of the best. I mean, they only given up 260 yards a game. They're giving up 10 points a game. And they have, honestly, they have the two best wins of any team in the country, in my opinion, beating Notre Dame on the road and beating Penn State the other night or the other day. Those are as good a wins as anybody. Like Michigan's rolling along and doing all this against absolute nobodies. They haven't played a single team yet to this point. I mean, Rutgers is their best win. Ohio State, two better wins than that. And I just think this defense is at a, at a different level. And I, again, we'll get more into it tomorrow night. Um, the edge players for Ohio state, two five-star guys um, that had a lot of success last week against the Penn state offensive lineman who's going to be picked in the top 10 in the country. I, uh, I think that could be a huge, huge matchup come Saturday night. Again, we'll talk more about that on, on, uh, on Thursday night monks in some prairie for temple and high and find the podcast, wherever you, uh, are going to uh, you're also working on a story on Will Pauling and I know he had a huge game against Illinois caught his first touchdown pass what have you learned more about Will Pauling as uh, he uh, becomes uh, kind of a, the, the focal point in the wide receiver room for uh, new quarterback Braden Lott what's interesting to me is I try to go back and think about what we thought of this team in January after all these transfers came in and I remember even doing a mailbag ranking the transfers in terms of what it seemed like their perceived ceiling would be for Wisconsin this season. And Will Pauling was kind of an afterthought and kind of, I'm not even going to say kind of, he was an afterthought largely because Wisconsin had two other wide receivers that were coming in that had a lot more hype. Bryson green had put it on film. He was one of the best receivers for Oklahoma state last season. CJ Williams hadn't done a lot as a freshman at USC, but was a top 10 wide receiver in his recruiting class. And we were talking about quarterbacks, Jake Renfro's coming in. And there was not a lot of discussion at the time about Will Pauling. And yet he has come in and established himself as the top wide receiver, like we were discussing on a previous episode. And it's not really even close in terms of targets and actual production. He's the perfect fit for this offense. That's something that Quincy Burroughs, his teammate, both at Wisconsin and at Cincinnati, said when I was talking to him earlier in the week. He's the perfect fit for this offense. We know how much Phil Longo loves his slot receivers and Pauling has that ability with his speed to gain separation, to find matchups that he can win, to, to find space. And he was utilized a lot on third down as a pass catcher that Braden Locke was able to, to find. And this the talent level was there even last year at Cincinnati. The problem was he got hurt, suffered a knee injury, and missed a good chunk of the season. So he ended up with 11 catches, and Cincinnati also had an NFL wide receiver, I believe, Trey Tucker. So... It's, it's really all come together for him. And 
what a coup for the Badgers to be able to get a player like that, that no one's even really talking about in January. That is now, I think he's got as many, he's number two in the big 10 in receptions per game behind Martin Harrison jr. At Ohio state. So that's pretty darn good. Yeah. He's averaging six and a half uh, catches per game. He's, you know, averaging 62 yards per game. And that's just in big 10 play. He's really turned it up of late and he's been a, a focal point for the offense. I think they've found their, their guy, the one that they can count on, on third down. He had that drop obviously early against Illinois, but for the most part came up whenever they needed him to make plays. And that's what a young quarterback needs. We kind of talked about it last week. They need their wide receivers to step up. And I, I certainly thought both the slot receivers actually stepped up. I mean, not, Will Pauling did, and certainly Skylar Bell did. The thing about Will is he is um, he's got so many good traits. He is a little bit of a smaller guy, but he has the speed. He has the quickness. He has the ability to to get over the top if if given an opportunity. I don't think we've seen a ton of that this year um, from the slot outside of uh, a couple of Skylar Bell uh, throws down the field. What do you think his his ceiling is as as a player? Is this kind of what it is? I mean, averaging right around 10 yards a catch? Is that what it is? Or could he be a bigger, bigger play type of guy? So Quincy Burroughs was kind of comparing him to Josh Downs in the sense of Phil Longo just had a, a great slot receiver at North Carolina and Downs, who's in the NFL, set all these records. And he, he Burroughs felt like Pauling could be that type of guy. He's only a, what is he, a redshirt sophomore? Pauling. So I think the ceiling is pretty high. I think the more they've got opportunities to play in this offense, the better he'll be. It's hard to say what kind of yards per catch type of guy he is, because again, in the slot, a lot of what they can do is attack right there in the middle. You don't necessarily need to be averaging 20 plus yards per catch, just gain good yardage. And maybe you can get some yards after the catch. But if this is the starting point for Will, Fickle even said it, the sky is the limit. I I, I know that's a, a cliche of sorts, but man, he's got an opportunity to me to be one of the most productive wide receivers that Wisconsin has had, given the offense they run and the skill set he provides. Yeah, and I think Braden Locke's going to continue to go to him uh, on Saturday night. There was we, we did get to talk to Braden yesterday, and I wanted to bring this up because I know some people were wondering about it while watching the game. A lot of opportunities, I think, to pull the ball and run on the, some of the read options uh, instead, just giving it to Braylon. I asked him about it yesterday and he said, when he went back and looked at it, there were a couple instances where he should have kept it and taken off. I asked him specifically, cause I know that there were, there was even more talk. Like they just don't want to get him hurt. So they don't want him running. He said, there's, and again, I don't, he wouldn't probably tell me any differently, but I asked him if there was, you know, someone saying, Hey, don't, don't pull it. Just, just give it to it every, you know, just give it to Braylon every time or, or, or throw it. And he said, no, that's not the case either. Um, but he also has to be smart about it you want to get the ball in your best playmaker's hands and your best playmaker is Braylon Allen. And so they, he said that they talk about this in the quarter quarterback room all the time is get the ball in the hands of the best athletes. And he is not the best athlete. Braylon Allen's best athlete. Will Pauling's best athlete. Those are the guys that you want the ball in their hands in big situations. And so, uh, but again, I think you kind of have to pull it at times. We, we saw this against Ohio state in the 2019 big 10 championship game. Jack Cohn rarely, if ever pulled it and took off. And the one time he did, he went in for like a 14-yard touchdown, and the the edge guy for Ohio State still thinks the running back has the ball. So those are – I think there's going to be some opportunities against Ohio State with them crashing down, not thinking he's going to hold on to it, where he's going to have to take off. The only key there is when he does take off to hold on to it because we know 
Uh, we saw it against Iowa. We saw it against Illinois. Teams are coming for that ball, especially after seeing it pop out once against, you know, see it pop out against Iowa. Brett Bielema talked about it after the game. They knew that they would be able to uh, have some shots at the ball. And I think Ohio State probably is talking about the same thing. But I, I know there were some people wondering about why he was not holding on to it and taking it for that for a first down. And he admitted that there were a couple of times where he probably should have. A couple of things about Braden. First of all, I know we haven't had an opportunity to talk to him a ton, but already I can tell he's such an intelligent guy. He's able to dissect plays and give you that information. To me, he's already one of the more enjoyable quarterbacks to talk to that I've covered here at Wisconsin because of that. And I give him credit because you asked him the question about what's going through his mind and whether he should pull it. And he said, when I watched the film, I agree with you. He acknowledged that he had missed a couple. Uh, and I, you don't always hear players say that or acknowledge those kinds of mistakes. And he also talked about in regards to finding that balance, he said, I'm only going to pull it or throw it or whatever it is that he's asked to do. If we absolutely know it's the best decision. And he said, if Braylon can win, then Braylon needs to have the ball. Now Braylon ran the ball 29 times, which tied a career high, but I think that's a, a good way to look at it for a quarterback like Braden, who's not Tanner Mordecai and is going to be able to beat you with his legs consistently and turn an eight yard loss into a six yard gain. But as a young guy, very cerebral and it's something that he's going to have to figure out as, as he goes through the season, you have to pick and choose your spots because you have to keep the defense honest. And like you were talking about with the Jack Cone run, Every once in a while, it can catch a, catch a defense off guard and be a game-changing type of play. Yeah. It's not that, it's not that Braden can't. I think, I think he's got some ability to, to, to run, but I did, I did think it was funny. I went back through the bios of the quarterbacks just to see if this was the case for all of them. And, and all of them, except for him, talk about his rushing yards in high school. <laughs> uh, or to talk about their rushing yards in high school. Like all of them were over a thousand. I think maybe Cola crew is like at 900 something, but all of them were like over a thousand and uh, it doesn't mention his running at all. But again, he, he knows who he is, right? Like he knows that in the pocket and throwing the ball over the place is, is probably going to be the best who he is, is the best thing that can happen for the offense. But also in that moment where they're crashing down, I think he's got good enough speed to get outside and, um, you know, give them, five seven yards whatever it is they're going to keep on crashing down you, you can't allow that defensive end just not just to ignore you the entire time or the the outside linebacker whoever's responsible for keeping contained you can't just allow them to ignore you you have to you have to pull it once or twice here and we'll see again maybe he'll have some opportunities against um against ohio state on saturday night but uh anything else that you wanted to hit on before uh we get going again. We're going to be talking a lot, plenty, plenty more to come tomorrow night uh, on Temple and Heilprin. I think we covered a lot of the key storylines. This is uh, clearly a big one for the Badgers and nobody thinks they're going to win. It's one of those rare times <laughs> when the team can say no one believed in us and you'd be right. <laughs> do you, I, I mean, is it how do they are they playing with house money? Like I was asked about this yesterday, like the pressure that Braden Locke's facing. And I, I don't think they're I mean, there is pressure because it's college football and you're playing at home and you're playing number three team. But I kind of feel like with nobody expecting him to win, you can kind of go out there and just play free and play loose. I don't know if there's a ton of pressure on Wisconsin here. The sense I get from reading comments in my stories and elsewhere, I think, and I can't speak for every fan, obviously, but I think the general sentiment is, okay, people don't think Wisconsin is going to win, but can the Badgers keep this game close and put together a respectable showing that will demonstrate they're making progress 
I don't know if closing the gap is the right way to put it. That's certainly something that came up this week when we were talking to Luke Fickle. But we're coming off a year where Ohio State embarrassed Wisconsin, put up more than 50 points, was up 28 to nothing before the Badgers even crossed midfield. And frankly, the game was over six minutes in. Ohio State had a 14-0 lead. And I know when you go to Columbus, it's a totally different situation from when you might play them in a, di in a different spot, even 2019 embarrassed at, in Columbus and then come back and play them really well in the big 10 championship game. So I think that's kind of the sentiment is can just Wisconsin hang in there and be in the game in the second half. I don't know how many people think the Badgers are going to win. I, I do want to go back and say that you and I in the off season made our bold prediction and said, Wisconsin would beat Ohio state. I don't necessarily know when we make our picks at Monks and Sun Prairie for Temple and Heilprin that I am going to stick with that. But, um, it's not impossible. It's just improbable. Go back to that statement. I mean, they haven't given up more than 17 points in a game this year. That was to Maryland. And they still beat them by 20. They gave up 12 to Penn State. I, you know, Penn State's offense um, maybe isn't uh, at the same level as it as they thought it could be, but it's still a top 10 team. I mean, Notre Dame scored 14 points at home. If we, I mean, is Wisconsin going to be able to score more than 14 points? I don't, I don't know. Um, and can the defense hold Ohio State down? It feels unlikely. Uh, what What do you think is more likely, a Minnesota-Michigan situation or a fourth-quarter game where it comes down to, you know, uh, they don't allow them to win by double digits, which is something that hasn't happened when you know, Ohio State hasn't beaten Wisconsin by double digits at Camp Randall since 2000. You're referring to Michigan blowing the doors yes. off Minnesota this year by six touchdowns. I, yes. I'm, I think it's much more likely that it's a, a close game and the Badgers are in it. I, I, there's something to be said in college football for having that home field advantage, especially in night game. This is, this is one of those memorable experiences. If you're a Wisconsin fan where it's going to be packed, it's going to be loud. People show up for this kind of game. And even the last time Ohio state came here was 2016 and the Buckeyes were 10 and a half point favorites. If I'm not mistaken, that game went to overtime. Now, Ohio State won by a touchdown, but the Badgers were in it. That was a Wisconsin team that won the Big Ten West and should have won the Big Ten championship against Penn State. But still, yeah. I, I'm more inclined to think that they understand the stakes and they're going to put on their best showing and keep it a game in the second half. I mean, is TJ Watt walking out there? If, if so, I'm going to give Wisconsin <laughs> a better chance. Um, I mean, or, or Jack Sitchie or whoever, all those guys that you want to throw out there that were on that 2016 defense. Yes, please. Um, so we'll see. Again, Wisconsin will take them on. As you mentioned, they have not been this big of an underdog in more than 30 years. It's been a long, long time. Um, and, you know, favored by 14 and a half, I feel like, they may still cover. I don't know. Well, well, again, we'll make our picks tomorrow night at Monks. Come out, check us out, or find the podcast wherever you we wherever you are. We also have a, a big thing starting tomorrow night: a twenty-five dollar gift certificate to Homefield. If you come out, you can apply for. You can uh, put your name in for it. We'll we'll draw a name out, and um, you just have to be there. Not be there when we draw the name. You just have to be there to, to sign up. So $25 gift, gift certificate for home field. And you can get one of those sweet bomber jackets that Jesse wants to get, but can't get because he covers the team. So yeah, we'll be out there tomorrow night. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from the athletic. You've been listening to the camp.